0: I want to welcome you to our first, um, session, uh, class on, uh, Peter itself and, uh, called this week and next week, really focused on the first two verses of Peter, which is really what we call the salutation or the greeting (laughs) introduction. Um, and we're going to talk about, um, our election into God's grace and, um, As a result of that, um, I don't know about you, but I need to pray (laughs) and ask for God to uh, help us understand this and for me to be able to articulate it effectively. Um, So let's pray, please. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible, matchless, awesome grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Father, we thank you that you alone hold the keys to life and death. And that you are the one who in your sovereign will have rescued us, given us the ability to be adopted as your children into your family with incredible implications, incredible ramifications. Father, we thank you that we serve a God who is sovereign above all and glorious in his very character and is seated in the heavenlies, and that you alone are the one who reigns and has all things after the counts of your will. And that you are the one to whom all history is careening towards, that for your purposes and your glory and your will, they all exist. Father, may we today have the ability to be, just begin the process of wrapping our arms around um, these incredible truths. Father, may, may they um, explode in our, the canvas of our lives in a way that um, causes profound differences in the decisions that we make. Father, may um, today be something that gives us great hope, great confidence <coughs> to know that we serve a living Risen Savior, who is um, seated at your right hand and is coming again in all his glory, Father, I pray that we would um, marvel in your wonderful and actual grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, well, our uh, time together today is, and next week is going to be um, really about trying to. Um, we're talking here um, about how do we put our arms around um, what I believe is the fundamental foundation of First Peter, that when we get it, not only will we conclude the right things about what we're studying in First Peter, but will actually undergird um, our very lives in a way that will transform our thinking. Um, And what do I mean by that? I mean that that we want to uh, wade into the sovereignty of God and understand how that truth can revolutionize how we think and revolutionize our very lives and our decisions in our lives. Now I want to wade into, in a big picture perspective, man's accountability and responsibility in this whole endeavor. Um, and then I want to wade into um, the beginning of looking into this grace in which we stand and have a, have a perspective of uh, God's divine election and what that means in our life. And then next week, I want to spend a little bit more time in the specific text of First Peter 1 and 2 and focus down on... Um, understanding how that actually manifests itself and then answer your questions about some of the things I've teed up today in the questions and some of the te- things I've, I'll have teed up for next week's questions. Um, so if you were here last week, share a few of your greatest insights that you learned and were re- or were reminded of. Anything off the top of your head, just shout it out. Yeah. Yeah, how fragile this world really is. Uh, I don't know if you ever really kind of put it all together and try, saw the kind of a top-down view versus kind of, you know, each of us kind of dwell in our place on this earth and experience these things, but we don't necessarily kind of come up and see how how things really are and how fragile this world is and that it could change in a moment really quickly. Other things? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Really um, oh wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> so, so it, don't know the yeah. Or... Yeah. So the prophecy, how it manifests itself in the scriptures, how it declares the beginning from the end, and uh, from the beginning, and and how it will be true. It will. It will. It will be realized. Um, great. Anything else? Yeah. Was that a hand I saw there yeah, from R <laughs> <laughs> um, I... yep. and I yes. Yes. and um and you said um and they're not gonna Oh geez it's no way. We have a living hope, regardless of what's coming, that God has promised us that He will never leave us, never forsake us. He will be with us in the midst of, and He will give us the strength to carry out what He has called us to, because He has prepared us beforehand for all things that come. Yes. uh, Amen. Amen. So the the point is, like, there will come a time when, when the Scriptures won't exist as we know them today. And uh, are we learning the scriptures to, um, to, to, to you know, re, remind ourselves of them, let them dwell um, in, our, in, our, in our minds, and, and, and learn them to be able to recall them into um, memory when the right times are? And my suggestion is that if we're not doing that today, in the midst of great trouble and, and challenge in our lives, that we, um, we're not going to be able to do it then. Okay? That, that's why God's giving us now. Is to prepare us for then, and so um, he may choose to give us uh, grace, and it won't be in our lifetime. But there is coming, and for, we still looked at First Timothy, right? He says that you know, um, uh, in, in the latter days, perilous times will come. Right? And he says that those days are are counting down, and uh, and and so we we just don't know. But far better to be prepared, right? Far better for God to. Uh, uh, allow us to remember these things in the in the in the what I called last week, if you remember, the small issues of our lives today. We look at them as very big issues, but they're smaller issues than what we're talking about here. And we're, they're smaller issues than what most of the believers on planet Earth have to deal with every day uh, in their lives as they stand for Christ. Okay, well we're going to we're going to touch base on a few of these other questions as we go through our time together. So I'd like to uh, remind you, if you would, that the Equip Hour is on our website again. Um, if you click on the circle there for Quip Hour, there you'll see um, uh, this page jump up. And to your, to your, uh, um, uh, in, in order to be a, a benefit to you, um, we have a, a place there where you can click to download the study guide. So there is a. Uh, I don't know, a 60, 70 page study guide already out there that takes us through at least this year. So all the questions that we're dealing with here and different different kinds of them um, that are here will give you a kind of a study guide to work through in your time uh, between each weekend um, in your own, on your own, prepare for um, and uh, have that be a great um, time in the Word. Um, So... I want to talk about some learning objectives of 1 Peter. First of all, Peter, uh, Dave Torres, and I, Dave is in California this week with his family for a um, wedding uh, this week. So uh, um, he's, he uh, says that he's praying for us this morning and I uh, and, uh, want you to know that from a 1 Peter perspective, we have four learning objectives that we want to share with you. The first one is that, that um, uh, we want you to experientially comprehend that you are a precious people chosen by God and redeemed for His own possession. A precious people chosen by God and redeemed for uh, His own possession. God's possession. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Okay. Second is... Uh, out of the four, is to understand that all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will experience persecution and suffering. Will experience persecution and suffering. All who desire to live godly in Jesus will experience persecution and suffering. So the question though, I, I ask myself, I ask you this morning is, you know, are, you be, are you in the process of experiencing that? And, 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 if you, and if we ask, answer the question no, positively no, then, then how do we go back and, <laughs> and look at well, why then? <laughs> because he says that, that we are not greater than him and that what he experienced in this life, we will too. And so um, we might not be standing for Christ. We not, might, might not be um, of uh, uh, audibly speaking about who Christ is in our life. And we want to encourage you to, uh, uh, all of us to, to be doing that. The third one is how to navigate persecution and suffering in a God-honoring, Christ-exalting way before it falls heavy on us. We talked about this last week. So how do we learn? So once Peter sets things up in First Pe- in Peter, what he's going to do is give us the tangible nuts and bolts like how to live for Christ in the midst of suffering. How to prepare our lives in all the spheres and realms of the different venues of who we are. How to to live for Christ in those venues. And that would be an awesome uh, application component. The fourth one is, realize that God has ordained purpose and meaning in persecution and suffering. This, this alone, I mean, we, we, we're counseling a number of people right now, and, and one of the people, one of the couples, couples we're going through right now, I mean, um, is that this means everything to them. That in the midst of what they're going through, God has purpose and meaning in it. It isn't just a fluke, there aren't any like wild electrons in the universe running around. Okay, God has purpose and meaning if He is a sovereign God. And that everything we do, how we, how we respond to everything in our life, God sees it. God remembers it. And God will reward it. And just let that sink in in your mind, in your heart. That God is in it with us. And He will be there. And He will reward us. When we, when we choose rightly, God-honoring, Christ-exalting decisions. Yeah. I, I, would, I, I would go beyond that. So, if there's suffering and pain that comes from our conscientious or our decisions in our life as it pertains to sin, that is not what we're talking about. Right. So, so, the ramifications of our decisions or others' dis- well, ramifications of our decisions, um, we own. And, and those are our consequences. Okay, I am talking about everything else. It could be ramifications of somebody who has been wronged. You know, the question is, is God in that? I'm asking the question about larger than that, you know, as we do what you're talking about? Yes. As we're ostracized, as we lose our jobs, as we are um, all of the above. Lose our homes, whatever. I mean, Is God in that? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So all of those things. Everything but what I just said. Yeah. Good question. Okay. Um... Uh, John, would you read this out loud? Peter the Apostle. Amen. Um, well, what we want to do is, begin with, is to talk about the sovereignty of God. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, um, p- part of this is, is comes from our time this last week that um, uh, Pastor Brad Bigney, um, in in one of his sessions called Let God Be God, was an awesome session. And, and, I just want to pass a few things on that uh, some of them are here but but a few things that he shared with us that I just felt like oh my goodness we have to start first Peter with the right mindset which is that sovereignty of God uh, and and the first thing about an introduction to so- God's sovereignty what is it it's that it's God's absolute rule and control and you'll notice in here that the word all is capitalized on purpose okay all things all things it's his It's His absolute rule and control over all things. Everything happens because He directly causes it, or He consciously allows it. One of those two things exist. I would suggest that the sovereignty of God in in my life has been the most incredible, worshipful, Christ-exalting, God-honoring, amazing truth Ever, ever I have encountered, um, it has more transformed who I am than any other truth about who God is. And um, as that, you know, when we were studying Hebrews, there were three things that came out of that. One was the sovereignty of God. One was the supremacy of Christ. And the third was the sufficiency of Scripture. And those things just really permeate who I am now because of having washed my mind with those truths. And they have huge implications. The third thing here is that nothing enters history that does not come under His complete control. Nothing enters history that does not come under His complete control. Fourth is God limits, He orders, and He controls all things for two reasons. One, His glory to our good. One his glory and two our good, all things he limits, orders and controls. What are some life changing implications to this? First and foremost is that our God does whatever He pleases. Amen. God, our God does whatever He pleases. Turn with me in, in your Bibles to Job. We're going to hit a number of verses here. Uh, Job chapter forty-two. Um, Verse 2, Job 42.2, just read it out loud, really, really loudly. Job 42.2. Amen. No purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Or New American says, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I love that. Can be thwarted. Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115, verse 3. Read it out loud. Go for it. Anybody? Our God is in the heavens, and He does whatever He pleases. He is absolutely sovereign, He's absolutely omnipotent, He's absolutely transcendent. He is God and none other. Let's look at Isaiah 45 verses six and seven, Isaiah 45 and verses six and seven. Go ahead. So I wouldn't want to say that you know, um, God does evil. Is that a true statement? What did this just say? He creates what? Calamity. Calamity, Calamity bad? Is it hold that thought for a bit? Hold that thought. Can a sovereign God be sovereign and still actually um, perform things that are that are bad things, not evil things, bad things for His glory and for His purposes? I would suggest He can. Otherwise, He's not what God. Okay. He's not God. Okay? So, um, our God is in the heaven and He does whatever He pleases. Um, Isaiah 48, verses 9 and 10 say, um, For the sake of my name I delay my wrath, and for my praise I restrain it for you, in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you and not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Psalm 119 says, God is the one who is afflicted. He says, who afflicts. He says, God is the one. He says, but for your affliction on me, I would have fainted if I had not had the, the strength of the Lord. Our God does whatever He pleases. Second is, our God reigns at all times and over all things. Our God reigns at all times and over all things. There is not a single verse that, that shows that God, as waiting for permission from a man, there's no, not a single verse where this shows God as one who has been, quote, thrown off course by the activities of man. He doesn't wake up this morning and goes, Ah! Cheryl screwed up! I don't know what to do now! <laughs> you know, the cross didn't like go, Oh no, what am I going to do? Satan has the upper hand. Never. Our God reigns. And He is the one that is over all things and at all times. Um, God's purposes and plans are marching through history and He will bring all things to the climax and consummation that He has planned from the very beginning. Our God reigns. There is no plan B There is no plan B. He didn't get up in the morning and do scenario planning and try to figure out, okay, who's going to do what? And if they do this, I have to do this. No, our God's plan A is plan A, and there is no plan B. Period. His plan reigns, His will is supreme. He is sovereign over all things in all ways. There are no accidents. There are no accidents. Everything comes to us filtered through the Father. Everything comes to us filtered through the Father. And God uses or redeems all things for His purposes. And His purposes are what? His glory and our good, right? All things, His glory and our good. That's it. Shut the book. (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, how immeasurably amazing is the sovereignty of God if we just believed it and understood it in our life. It could have far-reaching ramifications. It could revolutionize how I make decisions in my life. and It has, by the way. But in your life, too. It has incredible, amazing implications. Our God reigns, and there are no accidents. Well, this week, I want to talk about um, our election into grace and I want to share with you this, isn't, this is just the outline that I'm going to talk about it's in uh, on your notes in an outline form but um, some key words to know the decree of God uh, defining this doctrine of election and the problem that exists and then next week I, I want to um, really go deep on the solution what is the solution? It's, it's the divine election of mankind it is God's sovereign grace bestowed to us in it we stand; without it, we fall. Um, and I want to talk about the truth of, of, of election, and then some conclusions at the end of next week. <clears throat> some key words to note: <clears throat> I'm going to go through these very quickly. God's will—God's will is the sovereign counsel of God that He acts, by which He acts, affecting all of history <clears throat> and all of redemption. Turn to Ephesians one. Turn to Ephesians one. <clears throat> In Ephesians 1, he says um, the following in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, verse 5 at the end of it, according to the kind intention of his will. His will is the sovereign counsel of God that affects all history and all redemption. Second is purpose, or to purpose. It means to place into, or place before, excuse me, God purposes in Himself to sum up all things in Christ. Verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind of intention which He purposed in Him with a view of the administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth, things on heaven, and things upon earth. Um, To elect or to choose, this means to call out ahead of time to call out ahead of time. Um, look at verse four. He says, "Just as he chose us in him, when before the foundation of the world, ahead of time, don't you think? <laughs> ahead of time, to predestin, to predestin." He said, "It means to mark out with a boundary beforehand." So it's to go out there and like put boundary boundaries around something and to mark it out. Look at look at uh, Ephesians one five. He says, "And and God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. He predestined us to adoption as sons. <clears throat> um, God's calling, God's calling is effectual sometimes, and it and, and a specific call um, to salvation." Um, versus His general call to all all mankind. What would be a good verse to to talk about His general call to all mankind? I heard it over at this table when you guys were talking. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, okay? That He gave His only begotten Son, okay? Yep. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to to, to salvation. Repentance. Yes, the general call of God. Um, But His specific call enables a person to believe by granting them faith and is manifested in God's unconditional election and His irresistible grace. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.14. 2 2, if somebody gets that, would you read it out loud? 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Okay? When God calls, in this language, the specific and effectual call of a person... Uh, they pick up the phone. <laughs> they pick up the phone. When he calls, he, they pick up the phone. They can't but pick up the phone. This is God's specific call. Ring, 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 ring. The person who has been called by God in this situation versus general call can do nothing but pick up the phone and answer it. That's God's call. Okay? Um, Adoption, we looked at that already in Ephesians one five. It means to place um, into his family as a son or a daughter. To place into his family that once wasn't and now is a part of the family. Um, the word foreknow, to foreknow. For, we're going to talk a little bit more about this today, but to foreknow. It means to know beforehand, to take note of, to fix one's attention on, to regard or focus on. And, and this is God. Predetermining to know an individual by having an intimate saving relationship and choosing them from eternity past to receive His redeeming love. Okay, so to foreknow, we're going to talk about the difference. Is it does foreknow mean to call out and and predestine and to choose ahead of time before time, or is it what what some would say is foresight? In other words, God like, looks down through the corridors of time, determines that this person's got it together and will believe me. And therefore, he happens to be part of my elect. Is that what it means? Okay, so we're going to talk more about that in a second. Okay? Any questions about those at all? Just to kind of give you a quick overview. Right? Let's go on. Um, justification it's the legal and formal acquittal and pardon from guilt by God as judge. Um, there, are, there is a time when that occurs at point of salvation, which is when justification happens. Interesting enough, according to chapter um, uh, five, 5, verse 1 of Romans, uh, it also is a, it's a process. Um, excuse me, um, 3.24, it's also a process. So not only is it a point in time, but it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Usually we think of justification as a point in time, though. That's how we would normally think of it. Okay. The second one is what we call progressive sanctification. Uh, and I add the word progressive to it because that's really what it is. It's, it's the journey upon which God is, has, has de- not just declared us righteous, but is in the journey of making us righteous. Okay. Um, the third one here is glorification. That is sometime in the future, but at a point in time, it will be an instantaneous consummation of our redemption. Um, it's, it's where God gives us glorified eternal bodies okay? and this whole thing hangs together over top an umbrella called redemption so justification, sanctification progressive sanctification and, and glorif- glorification put an umbrella over the top of that and that is redemption it is the voluntary substitutionary act of Christ where he paid for our sins and forced slavery by, bought us back into volitional obedience which has its, as its gift eternal life. And so it has these two dimensions going on here. Any questions about that? Okay. It's key words to, to know. Alright, I want to talk next about the decree of God. The decree of God. God's decree, first, first and foremost, the decree of God is a single plan formed by His will and encompassing all things and encompassing all things, we looked at this just a second ago in ephesians one eleven ephesians one eleven read that for you again he says <clears throat> ephesians one eleven he says, um, also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works." All things after the counsel of his will. Who works all things after the counsel of his will. And so this this will is a single plan formed by his will. And it encompasses all things. The decree of God. Second is the decree of God has been established in eternity past. In eternity past. And it has reference to the sovereign counsel of God. Over every realm, all events, and all beings. Every realm, all events and all beings, the decree of God. Third, God's will. Or second, God's will. God's will has two parts to it. One is His permissive will or His general will. His permissive will allows the the rain to to fall on the just and the unjust. Okay? Good example. Um, It's His general will. We talked about His general will a second ago. Um, uh, He allows those things to occur. The second here is his causal or his special or his effectual or his prescriptive will. It is when he says this, it happens. It is his plan. He makes that occur in time. So two two sides of God's will, really important to get them right. What you're talking about when, okay? Okay. And and uh, so God's will, permissive or causal. Third, some key elements of this decree of God is the first is to create man, to create man, to create man. The second is to permit the fall of mankind, to permit the fall of mankind, permit the fall of mankind. <clears throat> the third is to provide salvation for mankind. To provide salvation for mankind, but we're going to look at something here, which is this word, but. <laughs> but uh, is, it, is it Kim Jones? It's going to do a or uh, Who's uh, Deanne's going to do? Going to, going to write a book one day about um, God's butt, <laughs> the butts of God, right? Um, but so. With these three elements of God's decree—to decree create man, to per- permit the fall, and to provide salvation—there's um, a, there's, there's a problem, okay? and the problem is we're going to find out um, is, is is the nature of mankind now because of the fall. And so the last one here is um, that He has made a conscientious decision before time to save some, to elect some, to choose some. Of the total. He has made a conscientious decision in his sovereign will to elect some or choose some. Okay, so we're going to come back to this and give you some time at the end, hopefully. So defining the doctrine of election, Louis Burkhoff uh, says um, this, Election is that eternal act of God whereby he and his sovereign good pleasure, as we've said already, and on no account... And an account of no foreseen merit in in them, chooses a certain number of mankind to be recipients of special grace, special grace, and of eternal salvation. Special grace and eternal salvation. Election of God is the eternal act of God whereby he in his sovereign good pleasure and on no foreseen account of no foreseen merit in them, chooses a certain number of people. Mankind to be the recipients of special grace and of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. Okay? Any questions about that? Pretty good definition, I think. Okay? Uh, th- there is common grace. There's general grace. We just said, you know, God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's His grace. That's not special grace. That's not His causal grace. It's not His effectual grace. Yeah. Yeah. His effectual and causal grace is normally demonstrated in salvation. Usually. That's the key area. Okay? That answer your question, John? Yeah. Okay? All right, the problem. Let's talk about the problem. The problem is the nature of man and his depravity. The word depravity really means thoroughly crooked. Thoroughly crooked. Unable to unbundle and straighten out. <laughs> Unable to un- disentangle and unbundle and straighten out, thoroughly crooked. That is the nature of man. Okay, and and this means that every person alive is spiritually one of these three things. First and foremost, dead spiritually. Turn with me to Ephesians two one, Ephesians chapter two verse one. He says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins." What does dead mean? No life. No life. None. Can't raise your hand, can't can't like wink, can't like go. Ooh 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 ooh. You know, dead. Devoid of life. Devoid of life. Second is defiled. Look at verse three. He says, "And among them too, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature what children of wrath, even as the rest, even as the rest, defiled." The third is depraved, <clears throat> depraved, um, depraved. Um, Romans 1.28, I'll read it. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. God gave them over to their depravity. He let them experience the due consequences of the decisions of their life, which ends in depravity. Which ends in depravity. So every person is either dead, defiled, or depraved. Every person um, doesn't mean that. He just says that he allowed them to experience the decisions of their their lives. Doesn't say that they were good before. Just says he he destined them. He gave them the opportunity to experience whatever their decisions were before salvation. Before salvation. That's a good question. Okay. The characteristics of man's nature. I'm going to go through these um, pretty quickly. The characteristics of man's nature, first and foremost, is a lack of love for God. A lack of love for God. Um, a lack of love for God. <clears throat> the second is that they are, al- we are they are alienated from God. Alienated from God. Um, let's look at Colossians uh, two. Should me, one twenty one. Colossians one twenty one. Would somebody read that out loud? Colossians one twenty one. Okay, he said. It goes on in twenty two. He says, yet he has now reconciled you in his body. So he says in twenty one, you were formally back to your question you had earlier. Formally, okay, um, alienated and hostile in mind. We, I think, we get what alienated means. But but what does the word hostile mean? Active, like totally engaged, consumed with right, consumed with being uh, uh, active, actively at war uh, with God. Um, alienated. Okay. Third is uh, enmity or hostility towards God. Enmity or hostility towards God. Enmity or hostility towards God. <clears throat> the fourth one is. Our minds and our consciences are seared or corrupted. Our minds or our consciences are seared or corrupted. I want to turn to Titus uh, chapter one fifteen and sixteen. Titus one fifteen and sixteen. Uh, can somebody read that out loud? All things are God. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. Next is, no one is righteous. No one is righteous. Turn with me to Romans 3, by which we'll see a few other ones here. Romans 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. None righteous, not even one. Next is, no one seeks God. Verse 11 of of, uh, Romans 3 says, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. None who understands, none seek God. Um, All are useless and no one does good. Verse 12. All are useless and no one does good. All have turned aside together, they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Not even one who, who does good. Not even one. Next is no one fears God. No one fears God. Look at verse 18. He says, "There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God before their eyes." What does this mean? What does fear of God mean in this context? Do you think reverence or respect or understanding through which I mean by which we understand who God is and therefore have this respect or awe or or fear? Um, The point is that we we hold in high regards, right? And and, and the point here is that all, no one, holds God in high regard. They don't even think about Him. It's the last thing on their mind. Next one is they cannot understand spiritual things. Cannot understand spiritual things. They have no ability to understand spiritual things. You read the Word of God, they listen, and it's like the veil is over their eyes. And then how many of you have seen God... Rip that veil off. And they read the exact same verses. And they go, Whoa! I get it! God is is awesome! But God has to remove the veil. God's got to take it away. Read the exact same thing. It's like, means nothing to them. Nothing to them. And last but not least, Ephesians 2.12. Turn there with me. Ephesians 2.12. All are without hope. All are without hope. Ephesians two verse twelve says, "Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having what? No hope and without God in this world. No hope and without God in this world. What an incredible indictment on on mankind. I mean it leaves you in a place of going, "Oh my goodness." Oh my goodness. By God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, let's look at the next two, two pages' charts here. I want to try to unbundle these for you. There are different types of sin. And I asked the question earlier, you know, is mankind inherently good? Are babies born in a neutral place? Right? And uh, what did you come up with on that question? Anybody? What we just read, no one's good, right? <laughs> okay, so no one means no one. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Walk into the nursery. <laughs> Have a child of your own. <laughs> Amen. Any other thoughts? Yeah, John. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, that would be a special grace situation, right? Yeah. Okay. Anything else on that? Okay. What I want you to draw your attention to here is there are three types of sin, and it's really important to get these because they have they, they have ramifications here. And you'll look down the middle. The, the second column here is some scripture. Um, down the middle is the transmission. How did it get? How did it? How does it get transmitted from one to another? Okay, like a like a disease, right? Um, the the fourth one over is the what? What is the primary or the principal consequence of this? And then the far right one is, what's the remedy for it? Okay? So the first is imputed sin. Imputed sin. Turn with me to Romans 5, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 12. Somebody will read that out loud. Imputed sin. Therefore all sin. Okay, we do not get this in our Western uh, mindset. But what the verse is saying is what? Through one man, who is who? Amen. Adam. And his decision as, quote, the head of the human race, what? Everyone from then on is dead in sin, okay? and therefore to experience the due consequences of Adam's decision as the head of mankind. So if nothing else existed, what does that answer for you as to the people? All are dead, defiled, And depraved based upon Adam's choice. When we get to heaven and get a chance to talk to Adam, okay, which I do believe he will be in heaven, okay, um, I can just imagine, like, everybody's going there first. (laughs) I have a a conversation I want to have with you, you know? (laughs) Okay, so direct from Adam to me, and the consequence primarily is physical death. He says, physical death spread. Everyone from that point in time on dies physically. Okay? And the remedy is imputed righteousness from who? According to the second man? Christ. Look through that whole passage. Okay? Second one is inherited sin. Inherited sin. Turn with me to Ephesians two three. Ephesians two verse three. Ephesians two verse three. Somebody read that out loud. Inherited sin. Okay, inherited sin. By nature, children of wrath. How do you get your nature? It comes from your parents. It's passed on. It's inherited. That's our nature. We have a sin nature. Why was Christ not have an earthly father? So that He wouldn't have a sin nature passed on. You ever thought about that? Yeah? Okay. So, generation to generation. Spiritual death is a part of this. We're going to talk about what is spiritual death, what is physical death, what is eternal death in a second. Okay? But the remedy here is redemption, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Redemption. The next one is individual sin. Individual sin. Turn to Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Maybe somebody can, can uh, share that off the top of your head even. Okay, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Fallen short of his glory. He's come up come up wanting as it pertains to perfection. Because perfection is God's glory. It's the sum it's the sum of his attributes on display in a manifested light that is his character. And it's his glory that outshines from him. And so all have fallen short of God's glory. Because all have personally sinned. Individual sin. Okay? So, um, remedy is forgiveness. Remedy is forgiveness. So, three ways, any one of which would seal the deal in, our, um, in the consequences of our, of our destiny. Okay? Next is, uh, all, all sin brings death. What are the three kinds of death? <clears throat> all sin brings death. The first is f- spiritual death. Spiritual death. This prevents earthly joy and intimacy with God. Um, the ultimate consequence is separation from God. Separation from God. So spiritual death, um, as believers, it's a separation in fellowship and intimacy with God, even though our, our sins have been, been forgiven. Um, but for a non-believer, it's separation from God um, also. Um, the second one here is physical death. Physical death. Hebrews nine twenty seven. I'll read it for you. Says, um, and in so much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. After this comes the judgment. So die once. After this comes the judgment. Physical death. The primary consequence is what we call the first death. First death. It's when you die physically. Okay. Uh, Brings an end to an opportunity for salvation. One minute after you die, by her, by Irwin Elucer says there is no more, there's no more opportunity, no more opportunity. Uh, to, to, think of the rich man Lazarus. There's no more opportunity. Can you go back and tell him what I know now? Okay. And the third one is eternal death, eternal death, eternal death. Um, Revelation twenty one eight um, says. The cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, which is what's called the second death. The second death is the eternal death. eternal death. It's everlasting torment and punishment forever apart from God. Everlasting punishment apart from God. You know, I think at this point in time we think about like Acts 2... Um, verse 38, when, when, when Peter had just shared with everybody um, about how they nailed Christ to the cross. And, and, and what, was his, what were the people's question at that time, which really kind of sums up this whole conversation. It's like, what must we do to be saved? <laughs> if this is the consequences, and this is the character, and this is the condition of man... What must we do to be saved? That's the question, and and the the only answer is by God. The only answer is God's elective choice. The only answer is God's calling of some. Okay, so we're going to talk more about that. Um, But in closing, I want to just draw a picture so we all get it here. Okay, so if if you want to draw this out, great. But this picture is a line, draw a line on your page, okay? And, and over here I call this the neutral place. This is plus and minus. Okay? So, according to what we've read in Scripture, where would you place people, babies, etc., in this picture here? Are they are they in a neutral place? Are they in a, a positive or good or evil? Bottom left corner, yeah. certainly bottom right. Okay, yeah. right, right here, right. right here, right. All mankind, not here, and not here, here. According yeah. to everything we've read, that's the problem. All mankind are underwater. So if you are God, and your decree decreed creation and the fall, and this is the situation, how, how, what, what other alternatives are there? Because nobody from here, we just read, can in and of themselves put themselves up with their bootstraps and move to here or move to here. Right? Spiritually. None. None. Now, if you went and, as God, went and picked up all the people here, and then took them to here, all of them, would you be just? Okay. You mean just? just made a decision and. Okay, everybody comes. With yeah. Okay. Uh. Okay. <laughs> if that happened, okay, how would you ever know? What are some character traits of God? That, that you know are, are Him. It's Him. Okay, good. Justice. He's just. H- how is His justice put on display for for all eternity if He took 100% of the people here here? Okay. You say God can't do bad things. Why can't He? Okay. So God can't do bad things. All right. We'll, we'll hold with that. Let's just hold that for a second. Um, George, you were going to say something? Well, there there would be no interest brought everybody over so an error uh, like Stalin and Adolf uh, that we would, uh, the fact that they died even though they did the
1: most... So,
0: so so when we talk about fairness and justice, what is fair and just? What's God's fairness and justice? Yeah, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. all, yeah. All kinds of yeah. mm-hmm. And I know it's... Yeah. Not- so so those are great questions, and hopefully next week we can get to, to talk about them more um, because I think we, we, we want to spend some time doing that um, at the end. But I, I want to say this, and that is that um, um, what, what we're, what's due us as individuals being here is what? It's God's justice. It's His wrath. Period. That's it. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe mankind anything at all. That is His prerogative. It's His will. Whatever He wants. And so the question that's on the table is, is God just by leaving this the way it was? And the answer has got to be yes. It's got to be yes, right? Okay. So I'm going to hold things in suspenders, (laughs) suspension, with that there as to where we're at and pick it up next week. And try our best to try to build from there to the next step. So that we are assimilating this information. But what have we heard in big picture today? God is sovereign. He does what He pleases. He reigns and rules over everything. And there are no accidents, right? We've also heard what, John? Poverty. Yep. Yep. Amen. Amen. We are the messenger, messenger, messengers about who Christ is, and we're going to learn more about that next week. And when you really understand God's sovereignty and his elective purposes for the grace of God um, and how that actually happens in people's lives, it will turn your world upside down from the standpoint of evangelism dependent as opposed to going, let's see what God does. Because God has chosen to use us to accomplish that. That's it. We don't know who the elect are. We have no idea. But God does, and He's told us to be faithful to that end. So we're going to learn more about that next week. But what we've also learned is the, is, is the character condition uh, of mankind, and therefore the consequences of that situation. Okay? Consequences. Uh, George, would you close us in prayer? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, how can we do anything by the righteous how you publish you have amen have a great day